Hello and welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Extra types. It is Sunday, June 23rd. Yep, we're doing this one on a Sunday. Uh, I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And why don't you, you want to tell everybody why we're doing this oh on a God. Sunday instead of a regular <laughs> Saturday? I had a very tough week, y'all. Um, went on this dumb work trip and I was supposed to be back um, Friday at 5 and uh, my flight was delayed by three hours and then canceled. I was stuck in Dallas. Uh, Dallas decided it didn't want to let me leave, so it kidnapped me for a couple <laughs> days, and I had to stay, which had I been at any other city, I feel like maybe would have been fun, but that's Dallas, so it's just like an industrial wasteland. Um, so, yeah, and like apologize to any, anybody who lives in Dallas and really loves it. Like I've been to Dallas. I've spent time in Dallas. Like Yeah. It's not for us. Let's put nope. it, let's be diplomatic and say that. Yeah. Maybe some of you out there love Dallas. Yeah. I mean, I have friends who love Dallas. I Great. don't, I don't know why, but, um, <laughs> I don't love Dallas and it's not like I was, you know, in the city I was in like by the love field airport, um, which is literally just a bunch of industrial buildings and fast food places and strip malls. That's Dallas. But like, it's like completely spread out. And so, and there was just all kinds of complications with my bag and then they wouldn't let me book another flight. And, and I ended up having to use white lady tears at like 1230 in the morning, sobbing to the like third escalated person from Southwest, um, being like, you just are going to have to put me on an airplane tomorrow. I need to go home. Um, yeah, they didn't want to. No, because they didn't like uncheck my bag from me when they canceled my flight. So they wanted me to come back to the airport to uncheck it. There would have been no flights available. I would have had to stay an additional day. So I had to fly to Atlanta from Dallas and then from Atlanta to Denver, which is a like, six-hour process instead of a two-hour process. Okay. So anyway, I got back late last night and I uh, was very tired and very cranky. I can attest to both of these things. <laughs> but I'm here now. And as you can imagine, I um, didn't, uh, wasn't really reading the news much. I was doing other things. So I'm, I feel a little bit out of the loop. Um, I've tried to catch up today, but gosh, kind of a lot's happened. Yeah, as usual, you know, no, we're any more slow weeks uh, these days. Um, before we look back, let's look ahead real quick. Uh, this week we have the first Democratic debates. Right. Wednesday and, and Thursday, right? I think it's Wednesday and Thursday. And I am, again, I'm not going to be able to watch either of these in real time because yeah. I have commitments at night. Um, and and I'm going to have to watch the replays and have uh, Rachel brief me. Not that you're necessarily going to watch <laughs> oh, them in real time. Oh, I am. Yeah. That is what I will be doing. I'm going to try to get like a, a buddy, emotional support buddy to watch them with me. That's a good idea. Because like, a, like a pig or a ferret? Like maybe a person. Oh. <laughs> like Blixa would watch them with me, but <laughs> yeah. he just yells at everyone. So yeah. it's hard to decipher who he's mad at. Um, if any of y'all are local and you want to come watch the debate with me, let me know. Because, <laughs> um, you know, otherwise I'll just be screaming into the oblivion by myself. And that sounds, you know, not that fun. Uh, I want Let's talk about a couple things. Um, we uh, we talked last week about how Marianne Williamson was an interesting candidate. Yes. And then she had to make us look stupid. Well, she's not an interest. I mean, she's an interesting candidate regardless, right? Because she's a self-help spiritualist person. So it's just mm-hmm. weird that she's in the race at all. And I forget what it is that she did or said that was really... Uh, Samantha Vaxxer garbage. 
Oh, and then she walked it back, right? Kinda. What did what I don't what did she say? Uh, she described because because what's happening right now in in the midst of this new anti-vax movement, you, we got a bunch of kids getting sick and yeah. getting measles and you know mumps and and pertussis and all these horrible things and local and state governments are trying to crack down on it and be like, now we got to make vaccinations mandatory. Right. And, uh, you know, a couple of politicians are trying to make hay with this and be like, oh, no, this is not good. And so Marion Williamson jumped in and called that draconian and unnecessary. And and then she got called out and said, well, you're an anti-vaxxer. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I, I didn't mean it. Or, you know, she she sort of half walked it back. But th- it, that's the insidious thing about the movement. It's. You got some crazy people straight up being like, don't vaccinate your kids. Autism, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then you got, but then all these little things lend credence, you know, and and I I was looking for that nugget where she was just, where, you know, because again, none of the, none of these politicians who are forwarding this mandatory uh, vaccination legislation are trying to take away the exceptions for medical reasons, like the, sure. the very, very tiny percentage of the population. Like if your kid is immunocompromised, probably right, in right, some way, right, or 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 it has some weird allergies, and then they can do they can sort of do the schedule different, or in very rare cases they can't be vaccinated at all, and they have to live in a bubble, which is sad. Well, but. or that that that's what the point of vaccination, right? Is that herd immunity will protect them <laughs> exactly for the few children who can't actually medically be vaccinated. But the point is that everyone else will be vaccinated, and so. The the disease will be eradicated. Therefore, yes. that kid will not get that disease. Right. The fucking point of vaccination. Right. But the but the point I was making was I was looking maybe for that nuance and that maybe she misunderstood and said like you know the kids that that are immunocompromised and and need the exceptions we can't take that away from them. But no, that's not what she said. And right. well, I, I think from what I understand is she said the taking the making it mandatory without exceptions for like religious people, right? Is draconian. <laughs> and you know no. no, no, we've had this debate. Remember no. the Christian scientists used the same yes. rationale and said, My kid gets strep throat, if God wants them to die, they die. And governments have said no. Right. No, you can't do that. Right. And we have in, charged in, parents with murder. Absolutely. Before, or man- I think manslaughter. It's not murder, but it's manslaughter in, and negligence. In, in, in this country if your kid gets sick and, and you have the ability to give them treatment now, you know, obviously there's, I don't want to talk about the, well, I do want to talk about the incredibly inadequate gross healthcare system in this country where a lot of people's kids get sick and they just can't afford to treat them and they die that way. Right. This is talking about parents who are offered treatment for their child, which is life saving. And they deny that treatment because they think that if they pray, God will make them not sick, or if God wants them to die, then that's their path. And in, and in my understanding, this went all the way to the Supreme Court at one point. I don't know. I, I don't know about that. But I do know that um, there have been successful but the law is very clear. convictions yes. for parents who, um, it's negligence and child abuse and ultimately can be... Um, you know, but are we going to go all the way to revisit that again? Maybe. Maybe. But in any event, 
she she blew a little anti-vaxxer kiss. And again, you know, the, just these little subtle things are, are all part of the ammunition but here, that the anti-vaxxers use. Yes, and here's what I think's interesting. I don't think she's blowing an anti-vaxxer kiss. I, I don't. I think she doesn't even know what that means. I think... <laughs> You know, she saw some compelling argument because, you know, they've what, got Facebook? so... Hold on. Okay. They've got so much money. I'm not defending Marianne Williamson. I'm saying I think it's this is a thing we're going to have to start talking about because I read this article about these really, really rich people. It's this couple yeah, in New, New York, York City yeah. and they're, they're the big funneling fund- millions funders. and millions and millions of dollars into anti-vax propaganda. Mm-hmm. And it's not... <clears throat> your traditional Jenny McCarthy anti-vax stuff. They're they're smart. They've, so they've got the best people to do messaging yep, and PR and, PR and, and it's this more nuanced message. And so somebody like Marianne Williamson comes along, sees that and goes, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Without any policy knowledge or, or background or history, she's not a politician, right? Doesn't have any idea about the context of this, which again, I think disqualifies her from being right, president. Right, I was but, about to say that, yeah. But, but you step into this, and this is the dangerous area that is the the sort of anti-vaxxing 2.0, is reasonable people who know nothing about this are going to get swept up in this propaganda without realizing that that's precisely what it is and that it is anti-vax. Mm-hmm. And it, they're not putting, they're not calling it that anymore because that has such a sort of um, a stigma to it, right? And so they're calling it other things and they're dressing it up in all of these different language. And it's it's really insidious and something that we really need to fight back against and be really clear about when you see it. Call it exactly what it is. Um, and I think in this case, once she realized, oh, that's what they meant. Oh, fuck. I didn't mean that. Right. <laughs> Tried to walk it back. But I don't think that she is an anti-vaxxer who is trying to, like, wink at them. I think she just fell victim to their propaganda and who's working for her and, and again even, that's even all of worse. this disqualifies her from being the president yeah. but I think this is going to start happening a lot more and not just with politicians but people you know yeah, and your friends and, and oh no it happens all the time this, this, this that, is why I can't stand to go on Facebook <clears throat> right that like like you're oh, going to have to start having right? conversations with people long conversations to really bear down and, and, t- and, and tear apart some of these these propaganda pieces that are coming yeah. out because I think it's it's going to get a lot more dangerous. There's a there's a doctor uh who um is taking the time he found some like vaccination skeptic or vaccination concern forum on Facebook or something and he's taking the time to talk to every like scared new mom out there yeah. and explain Why it's all bullshit and it's working. And they're like, oh, okay, well, now that makes sense. I understand. There's a whole group of doctors who are are talking about, you know, it is absolutely possible to turn a mom who read some things on Facebook around, but you got to take hours. Mm -hmm. You have to take real time and real compassion and really explain to them, this is what it really is. This is why it's important. This is what you heard. And here's why that's not true. And then most of their patients will vaccinate their kids. And I can tell you right now, I am not psychologically or emotionally suited to do that. Yes, I just, as we know. I, I, I'm sorry. I can't, it's I, it's a character flaw, maybe. Uh, I, I don't have the patience to deal with these people. I, 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 I well, you know. And that's the thing I think that's important is just like any other um, polarizing thing. There are mm-hmm. the Jenny McCarthy's out there. Don't even try. Do not waste a breath. Talking to that woman or people like her. Well, no, because they're she, not to she's, be converted. She's built. She's built a whole new persona in cottage not just industry. Her, people like her. Yeah. And then there's scared new moms 
who are like, oh my God, I'm hearing this everywhere. I'm seeing this everywhere. There must be something to it. What do I do? And they literally are like, they're terrified for their kids, for what choice to make. They don't know. And so they do a lot of research and a lot of that research, unfortunately, is not scientific. And so they read a bunch of stuff and then they go to their doctor armed with all of this information that's false. And it takes somebody to sit them down and really be, you know, thoughtful and compassionate and explain. And I think that's work that we're all going to try to have to do with our friends and family. Um, And I'm sure there's some resources out there from actual doctors of like how to talk to people about this. Um, But yeah, I think it's a conversation that can be had for those people in the middle, right? That just are scared. Yeah. And can I say something about this? Because this is something we don't talk about very often, but it is incredibly dehumanizing and traumatic for people with autism and people on the spectrum when we have this conversation. Because to say, I do not want to vaccinate my child. I would rather have my child die than be like you. Right? That we're saying autism is as bad as death. Now, there is no link to vaccinations causing autism. That's not true, and it Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with it. But when you say, the the thought of my child being like you, I'd rather them die. That is an incredibly traumatic thing to say. And it's, I think we have to be thoughtful about just saying it doesn't cause autism, it doesn't cause autism, it doesn't cause autism, because that's making a false, right, comparison between autism and fucking measles or whooping cough or mumps or deadly childhood diseases. Yeah. Even if it did, so what? Your kid's not dead, right? I mean, and there are so many people that have autism that you would never even know. Like a bunch of friends in our friend group are on the spectrum and you would never know, right? But to those people, like imagine hearing that all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, uh, vaccines might cause ADHD, so I'm just not going to vaccinate my kid. What does that say about people that have ADHD, right? What would you think? That's a, that's a good point. And that's why, some, uh, that's why they've shifted. Remember a couple of years ago, uh, it was, it was really mostly the autism thing. Yeah. And, and then, and now it's morphed more into, well, there's dangerous chemicals. Right. And, and it's a, cons- it's a conspiracy between the pharmaceutical companies yes. and yes. the government or whatever. And, and, and they've gone more in that route because it was too singularly focused. And by the way, that guy Wakefield is still out there raking in the money, uh, for his completely debunked, you know, bullshit. Uh, research. Well, and I think that's the, what this is what I'm saying when I'm saying that they have all this money and this new messaging is they're smart mm-hmm. and they know a lot of these people who don't want to vaccinate their kids are lefties. Yeah. And so what do we love to hate? Right. What are we scared of? What do we Pharma- love to hate? Pharmaceutical, Pharmaceutical companies, companies. For good reason. Corporations. Yeah. Right. Chemicals. Um you know, dumping chemicals into like we, these are these are messages that were going to resonate with a lot of lefty parents because these are things that we so. have been yeah. taught and trained and 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 under and for good reason taught to hate and and have a healthy skepticism of. But it's so just vile and evil to turn that around and to create a public health crisis, mm-hmm. um, and that's why, like I said, I think that it's going to get real dangerous because they're getting smarter. Yeah. And people are going to resonate with the message more than just like autism is bad. Don't do it. You know, they're getting smarter. And I, I wish I could understand 
why you would pour so much money into this? Like, what is the end game here? It's not really, it's, the, I don't get it. Like, what's the goal? What's the goal of not vaccinating kids? What's the... Well, in, in, in their mind, it's not subjecting their kids to... No, the people who are funding this. Oh, I think they truly believe this shit. Or they, they could be Russian stooges. Remember, the Russians are really big on sewing this stuff online. Uh, because A, it's divisive, and B, you know, uh, having one of their, uh, you know, major political adversaries uh, dealing with a public huge health public crisis. health crisis is puts us at a disadvantage. It obviously, stabilizes and creates yeah. chaos. Yes, exactly. Okay, exactly. So it's not about not putting chemicals in your kids for the people who are paying. For I it. think that's really short-sighted and stupid. I mean, people who are unvaccinated will travel to other countries, including theirs. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think that's a really good strategy in the long run for anybody in the world should not be, uh, fomenting the spread of disease, uh, in any way, shape or form. Um, but you know, that's, yeah. that's kind of where they see it now. So, you know, in any event, and, and I didn't mean for this to go completely off the rails with this, but uh, staying on the subject of the Democratic primary, there's a new candidate. What? Yeah, as of this morning. Aren't what? you excited? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, what, would you be more excited if I told you it was another old white guy with gray hair? Nope, definitely not. Joe Sestak. Who the fuck is that? From Pennsylvania. He's a failed Senate candidate, and I think he was in the House what? before. What? And he announced for some reason he's running. And on, I think, like a platform of Biden light, from what I understand. Okay. So, you know, there's that. Again, it's this notion of like, I, an even more unqualified white man, somehow (laughs) have something to offer in this field of incredibly qualified, diverse people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. And you won't make the debate stage, obviously. Well, no, no. So I'd like, why get in now even? Yeah. Uh, so there's that. Okay. Uh, anything more to say on the coming debate and the field? Um, yeah, Pete Buttigieg. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up. So, um, there was, a, a murder, right, of an unarmed black man in South Indiana? Bend. In South Bend. Yeah. And, uh, Mayor Pete's the mayor of South Bend, and, uh, there was a protest of a bunch of, uh, Black Lives Matter and just concerned black community members, um, at City Hall, and they were really fucking pissed off, as they have every right to be. And Mayor Pete came out and um, addressed the crowd, and a little snippet of what he said uh, got picked up and went viral. And um, it's entertaining, but not at all really reflective of what actually happened. And again, this is not a defense of Mayor Pete. This is just, uh, let's talk about what actually happened instead of what the funny clip was. Yeah. So the funny clip was... Um, you know, him getting into it with this woman and uh, he seems defensive. He's holding this piece of paper, which makes him seem like he's out of touch. And she's yelling at him and he's sort of trying to talk back to her. And then eventually he says, I'm not asking for your vote. And she says, you're not going to get it. And that's everyone was like, oh, my God, Mayor Pete, blah, right? So what actually happened was he went out and he was talking to the group. And um, uh, one of the members of the protesters um, presented him with a list of demands and that's the piece of paper he's holding. And so he has never seen this piece of paper before. And so he's reading it one mm-hmm. by one and then addressing the demands that are on the piece of paper. 
Um, and when he gets to uh, why the officer in question has not been fired, um, he starts explaining that as mayor, it's not within his capacity to fire police officers by law, um, which, of course, is a frustrating answer to give. It's the truth, but it's mm-hmm. also a frustrating answer to give. And that's when this sort of kerfuffle happened, although they had been yelling at him and it was a really intense um, uh interaction and it was just him and then this group of very angry people and yeah i mean he he's a white guy from south bend i don't think he's ever been in this situation before um i think he did a pretty good job of not being defensive of of not um walking away of trying to listen to what they were saying of addressing the direct requests of him and agreeing Mm -hmm. to most of them um and and I think that's good. Um I think that's a tough crowd no matter what, right? Especially yeah. cuz you're the only like all of the the frustration and anger and and oppression and sadness and and rage in that moment all of it's going to go on this one person cuz you're the only one standing there. Yeah. And to his credit, he went and stood there. Um and so I think I think he did a decent job at that. And I think that the coverage of it on Twitter for that little moment is a little unfair. I also think he needs to do a lot more engagement with his uh, local community of color, like people that live around him and people, especially if you're going to run for president, like you got to learn how to talk to black people and address their issues and be compassionate and um, meet them where they, where they are um, and not be sort of so calm and collected. I mean, I don't want him to not be calm, but also he, he did feel a little cold. There wasn't a lot of like, you know, I'm just as outraged right. as you are and this right. is fucking bullshit right. and that, something that's needs his, to be done. That's and his like, shtick, right? Yeah. Like, I'm the calm voice in the room. Yeah. But like, that wasn't quite the time and place for that. Right. Uh, I don't know that anything he could have said or done in that moment would have changed the interaction much. No, but but you <laughs> there, you could do certain things better or worse is the point. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it'll be a learning experience, hopefully. For Pete, he's he's still young and and. I will tell you, if Joe Biden had been in that situation, oh, it could have been a nightmare. Yeah. He would have been putting his fingers and faces and telling them that nobody's ever done more for black people than he has. Or and Bernie, da, 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 yeah. right? Yeah. He did not do that. He did not make any claim to that. He listened to them and just said, "Like I agree with you on this. I agree with you on this. I agree with you on this. Like absolutely." Somebody was like, do you believe Black Lives Matter? And he was like, did you just ask me if I think Black Lives Matter? And he said, yeah. And he said, of course Black Lives Matter. And then this one woman was like, why do they matter? And like started asking him, like, you tell me why Black Lives Matter to you. And like, you know, it, it was just a really like impassioned situation and the tensions were running high. Yeah, tough and, like, situation. Let me, can, can I, can I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I saw most of it. And can I offer my opinion of where he maybe could have, could have, Handled it a little better, in my opinion. Sure. Um, one, when he said, I'm not I'm not asking for your vote, which is the, the part that, you know, turned into something viral. Um, I know what he was trying to say. Well, he was saying, I'm not here as a presidential candidate. That, I'm yes. here as the mayor of South Bend. I'm not, I'm not campaigning right now. Yes, but it could have very easily be interpreted as of like, I don't give a fuck. Like, you're not my constituency. Like I know, I know, I know, I'm not getting the black vote. Pfft. 
you that's know? so unfair. It's uh, not. You, it might. It might be. But if you're already pissed off, and you feel think, like this per- politician who's kind of out of touch. I even says think some of the people you. that were standing there, eventually, one one of these other ladies was like, "Hey, enough!" Like, you know, like. Okay, but he's literally just being the mayor right now. Sure. Then then you say that. Then you say I'm not here as a presidential candidate. I'm here as the mayor. By saying like I, you know, I don't want your vote. It sounds like him saying I don't need your vote. He said I'm not asking for your vote. That's my point. Is it could have been misinterpreted, and I think it was. I think it will be because no one's going to watch the goddamn video. And that's the kind of misstep that like. Okay. Well, I don't think the people standing in that crowd took it that way. Okay, maybe not. But I, you know, when you put yourself in that situation, like you better be prepared and you better be on your game. And I think that Pete did the best he could as being Pete. And that part of the problem is that, you know, (laughs) that's 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 a difficult situation for him. Right. It's a difficult situation for anybody. Sure. I think. Sure. And I don't but, know if I had been standing there and I had been talking to these people and they asked me if I thought Black Lives Matter. And I said, of course, Black Lives Matter. And they said, why do they matter? Why do they matter to you? What would the, what's the answer? Well, you know what? I hope that other candidates are in that situation. That's not that I hope that there's a bunch of police shootings where candidates have to address, obviously. But like when Joe Biden is going to the room at the at the Clyburn Fish Fry, like he's in front of a friendly crowd. Yes. Right. So. Yeah, they're all black, but it's much easier. Yeah. So let's see other candidates potentially in that situation, um, you know, dealing with a with a hostile crowd with tough questions. It does not necessarily have to be black people. It could be anybody. Right. Um, and I do think we're going to, this is going to be a central part of the Democratic primary is talking about uh, police brutality, regardless of if there are other shootings. I hope there aren't. We have a plenty of them to be mad about, mm-hmm. um, and I think we're going to have to talk about this. And and you know, I I think we should. I think he should. Everybody should talk to black people, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and, and Joe Biden, and to his listen, credit, said mostly. all all the right things about criminal criminal justice reform over the weekend with with his statements. Uh, which is fine. The, the the like the 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 layups he gets the the yeah. the easy parts he's got no problem with saying it's it's the other stuff and and Joe Biden is lately now back on the hot seat uh, with um, you know talking about how he loved working with segregationists. Yeah, that's problematic. Right. Um, and again. The, this is my problem with Biden. Like people don't want to do any nuance. Like there's a way to say that, that maybe isn't as insulting and damaging. Like you could say, Hey, look, sometimes to get some good legislation accomplished, you you know, you do have to work across the aisle. Of course, the best thing is like, let's vote these people out and, and get the government we need. But in the time being, you know, to get certain things done. But the way he said it was like, I'm proud to work with my friend, uh, you know, Joe, the segregationist racist guy. And it's like, no, stop. Right. And he can't well, he, help he himself. Can't, he, his record on criminal justice is indefensible. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't see it that way. No. And so he wants to keep defending it. And that's the part that everyone's like, well, it's different now. And he's different. And it was a different time. And everybody was like that. And it's like, okay, then say that. And stop defending your record. Stop saying it was fine. Stop saying it was good. Stop saying I'm proud of it. Stop saying any of it. Fucking mea culpa. No, that that's Biden's problem is is he 
it's like at a personal level, when you get a candidate who just said, I've never made a wrong move. He doesn't think these things were wrong. Right. Or, or at least that's how he acts. Or, like he takes the Trump line, like never admit you were wrong. And like, that's what we want in our candidate. Come on. No. If that's the truth, then then he is holding true that he still believes all of those things are true. Right. If you if you defend your record when it is what it is, then you're no better than the segregationists that you worked with, because the outcome of the legislation that he sponsored and passed and stood behind and passionately argued for on the Senate floor resulted in the carceral state that we're in right now. So if he doesn't feel bad about that and he doesn't want to apologize for it and he wants to say it was exactly the right thing to do, then we may as well have Trump. Look, when when 20 when 20 teens Obama, you know, uh pivoted on on a lot of gay rights stuff um he he just kind of had to swallow it and say hey i was wrong or he kind of had to sort of tacitly admit like i was i had to you know win the presidency and it wasn't time to do that and that sucks and i don't necessarily give him a pass for that no but it's not like he said well my vote was right at the time no like he said i was wrong i was wrong i evolved yeah. A lot of people in my administration are, in fact, gay. And I had to realize that, of course, they deserve the same rights as everyone else. I was wrong. And again, it sucks that, you know, he didn't do that from the start. And we can argue about, well, if he didn't do that from the start, he never would have won the nomination. Maybe. But that's the, that's besides the point. The point we're making right now is that if, if you want to use the argument, well, that it was a different time, then you got to say, like, it was a different time, and I am—I feel I was wrong, and I'm ashamed that I was on the wrong side of it at that time. Yep. That's all you have to say, and, yes. and we are forgiving. We understand that. But, like, Biden's ego is so big, like, he can't bring himself to say, I was wrong. It's like, he's one of these people that, <laughs> like, how do I put this? Like... I I believe Joe Biden. I don't know how to judge Joe Biden on the balance of his career. I think there's some problematic things and there's some good things. Uh, and in Joe Biden's mind, certainly he's worked really, really hard for a lot of good things, and therefore he gets very, very defensive when anybody, you know, picks on any of the questionable things. Yep. And and Bernie's the same fucking way. And you know, it's the problem of mediocre white men who've gone very far. You know, he, back in the 80s and 90s, he went along with whatever everybody thought. And yeah, sure, black children are super predators and Mm -hmm. we should just lock all of them up. And who fucking cares? Because it's the white families that we should be worrying about in the suburbs, right? Because that's what everybody was saying. So he did no self-reflection. He did no work. He did no reaching out to the communities which, which would be affected by this policy and this legislation he did he did nothing and women are probably probably lying about sexual harassment or it's overblown and you know nita hill uh, i'm sure that's not true and like he just he's just never been really great he never has has ever strove for any kind of greatness he's always just kind of failed upward and sort of like yeah i'll vote for that and like if that's what we're doing right now then i'll be super passionate about it or if nobody really thinks women are telling the truth then i'm not gonna like examine whether they are i'll just call her a liar and we won't interview you know interview any more people about it and we'll have this fucking rapist on the supreme court he just never really did anything great he never really took any risks ever and so he ended up on the wrong side of most things historically Mm -hmm. and now when you and then some things were great because we had some good ideas too and he was behind those too yeah. And 
Um, you know, post Anita Hill, he realized he had a problem with women, and so he, you know, supported the Violence Against Women Act, which mm-hmm. great, good job. Yeah. Um, but I just don't think he's a man of much self reflection, and so now. He's like, but I have done all these great things, and I, not really. Like, but I was a part of it, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm great, and you're like, not really, not really. I don't, I don't really see greatness in him, right? Mm-hmm. In a way, he's just sort of like always been there and done what we were doing, right? And never like fought back or pushed back or did anything to like really examine if this is the right thing to do. And then he was, was Obama's wingman for. It was years. just the thing to do. And right. then yeah, then he wore some fucking cool sunglasses and was Obama's best buddy, and they drank beers together, and now he wants to be the president. And I, I don't want that to be my president. Nope. It's not the kind of person that I want. You know, you look at somebody like Elizabeth Warren, who literally, since the beginning of her career, has, <laughs> like, I don't know, let's take on the banks. That's not at all hard. That's easy, right? The, the people with all of the money and all of the power who basically control the government, I would like to fuck with them. That's mm-hmm. greatness, right? That's risk-taking. That's looking at what actually needs to be done and trying to get it accomplished. Yes. Whether or not it's successful or not, she just didn't go, well, you know, it's always been this way with the bank, so I guess we'll just let it be, right? Right. That's the difference for me. Right. And and I told you about that clip last week, I believe, that uh, that I pulled up of Biden and uh, Warren going head-to-head back in 2005, I want to say. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. I don't think I saw it. No, but I think I talked. Did, did I talk about it with you privately or on the air? Or? Yeah, I, I think I talked about it on the podcast. Oh. Um, basically, it was a, a to bring it up again. It was a some garbage that Biden had signed on to or or co legislated uh, that was good for the banks and bad for people. And Warren, I think, was a state senator from Massachusetts at the time, and she's testifying uh, at a hearing. And she's calling Biden to task and, and Biden's offering up some weak arguments and not really making a dent. And at a certain point, he sort of gives up and smi- and gives her that smug oh, yeah. smile and says, oh, you're good, Senator. You're right, good. right, right. Yeah, we did. To shut that. down the debate. Right, right. And be a condescending prick. Yeah, sexist asshole. Yeah. So in any event, um, <laughs> you mentioned Clarence Thomas. Um, so I, I sent you this. There was a... Oh God! Which state was it? I think it was the North Carolina. It was. It was maybe a North Carolina gerrymandering case. Anyway, a seven a seven to two ruling that something the Republicans were trying to do was grossly racist, and even Kavanaugh and Alito were on the right side. And the dissent was written by Thomas. Yeah. Of all people, yeah. about this this law that was highly discriminatory towards black people. Right. Yeah, even even Kavanaugh had to sign on and say yeah, and I think even Gorsuch. I think it, I, I don't I don't know who else was with Thomas. I don't remember. But anyway, I thought it was five four. No seven two. This seven, one. Two. Yeah. What was his argument again? <laughs> that the that the court has always been hostile to uh, state state courts in the South, and I'm like. Yeah. Yes, because right. these state right. courts in the South shit all over the 14th Amendment and the Fifth Amendment. And, you know, what other amendments do you want? That's that's why they get to the Supreme Court and they get overturned. Right. But that's why the Civil Rights Act. Is it, God, he's unbelievable. I know. He is just such a piece of work. Yep. It, it, it is truly surreal. Let's talk about black genocide because of abortion. <laughs> but then uh, it's fine to not let black people vote. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, he is just a just a true gem, Thomas. Yeah. Like, just retire already, for God's sake. And I know they'll put another garbage person in there, but like, like He's, he just yeah. truly just yeah. loathsome in yes. a way that like, like Scalia said some horrible things, but like, nope, Scalia's just as bad. Scalia, at least he made some sense in certain aspects. I mean, I don't want to get into we don't like Thomas. In addition, because he's black, right? I think that's we don't want to no, tread into that no, territory. No, no, but but his like his arguments are so specious. It's just really also hard to swallow. I think. Yeah. Um, and I know for for certainly black people, it's uh, he's tough. He's not not their favorite guy, along with Ben Carson. Kind of or Candace Owens, although she's not nearly as important. Yeah, nobody to the, cares about her. <laughs> she would be nothing in the non-social media age. Um, in any event. So, well, moving on to what next? We got a whole bunch of things to discuss. What should we What should we jump into next? Oh, I don't know. Um, Iran? Sure. I don't know that much. I know, here's what I know. Um, and you can fill in what I don't know. Sure. Um, the president... For I don't know why, called an airstrike uh, to Iran, and it was being launched currently, like the planes were in the air, and then he called it off, <laughs> and then said, like, see, aren't I... Magnanimous I and peace-loving, right. So what the fuck happened? Okay, well... It- It's not exactly clear because A, it's really hard to get a straight answer from Trump and B, we don't have a a regular secretary of defense right now and the whole uh, military power structure is just completely fucked. So it's really hard to understand what the hell's going on outside of like Bolton and Pompeo are kind of pulling all the strings and then Trump gets the final say on things. And what, what seems to have happened is that, uh, Bolton and Pompeo did want uh, airstrikes on Iran uh, over an incident where a Japanese-owned freighter hit a Iranian mine. Oh, right, We right. think, and then the, maybe. the Japanese were like, no, it came from the air. And then we were like, no, it's definitely from Iran or something. And we don't really actually know what happened. So this is what that's about, is he decided he wants yes. to bomb them? Not, not, not Trump. Apparently what did happen was, was Trump did step in at some point and say, no, let's not do that. Uh, this combined with like they shot down a drone as well, um, but Who then did? Iran. Uh, from where? One of our drones. Yeah, they they shot down a U.S. drone over their own airspace. Uh, over I think international airspace or international water. Okay. Um, in any of I don't give a shit who shoots down a drone. To be perfectly right? honest, I really could care less. And how do we prove that? <laughs> what? That's not an act of war. Uh, That's just a thing. No. I mean, okay. But so in, what is the fucking, what is the point of all this? Why are okay, we the, bombing them? The, the point is that it, it does seem to be the case that, and I totally believe that Pompeo and Bolton wanted airstrikes. Trump said no, but then he twisted it but into, why hold on. Why do they on, want airstrikes? Because they want to go to war with Iran. But what reason are they giving? For, for the drone and the tanker. But it's not even our tanker. I Does know. Japan want to bomb Iran? <laughs> no. Japan doesn't want to bomb anybody. They're a tiny country in the middle of this very dangerous hotbed of 
crazy and weapons also, and still, missiles. they're like, still limited in what military they can have. Is that right? From World War II. Yes, yeah. that is right. It's de- very much defensive only. <laughs> um, in any event, what Trump did was sort of manufacture this version of events wherein he was the white knight that prevented all these innocent people from being killed. But his version of events makes no sense. Like the timeline makes no sense and the specifics make no sense and everybody's totally confused. And the only thing we know is that he's lying. So we don't really know what happened except for that. It does seem to be that, that somebody said, let's do airstrikes and Trump said, no, let's not at some point. And we don't know at what point. And we, (laughs) we, we really don't know a whole lot. Um, and that's not good. It, it, it's not good when you're talking about foreign policy and sort of being on the brink of military action, if not all out, all out war, and nobody really knows what's going on, and there's no full-time Secretary of Defense, and there's all kinds of um, empty seats at the Pentagon, and there's no real communication, and the outgoing press secretary doesn't talk to the media anymore. It, it's fucking chaos. So... Literally, the only way to sort of try to understand what's happening in the world is by parsing out a crazy person's tweets. I'm going to start watching like the BBC and Al Jazeera because I can't. They have to know more. They don't. I've been listening to the BBC and Al Jazeera and they're like, we don't know. This they're they're like they're saying what we said. Well, this is what Trump said. And here's the 85 ways that doesn't make sense. I don't know. All right, I have nothing to add. <laughs> like, yeah, I, you have to laugh to keep from crying or hiding under the bed. Like, I, if we got into some real, like, like real all-out war, the real thing, like, it, we would never know what the hell was going on. We would have no idea. Um, it is Stalin-esque. And, you know, I'm, I'm a historian of World War II, and... Like, if there's one thing that um, certainly in the in the latter days of the Third Reich and in the Soviet Union, it's nothing but propaganda all the time. Um, and no one really knew what the hell was going on. Uh, sometimes until like the, the troops were marching down their street. I'm like, oh, I guess this is happening now because, you know, our government certainly didn't tell us. Yeah, well, we have a media. So... I'm I'm so frustrated by this conversation that I don't even want to continue having it. Um, if all we can say is, oh, we don't really know. And that's it. From all of the media, the free press all across the world, we say, we almost bombed around, but nobody really knows. Oh, well. Yeah. Then I don't have anything to add. <laughs> there's, there's We're co- so fucked. At the, if that's true, then there's no point. They're so fucked if that's true. If there's no one on this planet who is trying to figure out what the fuck is going on and we're about to bomb somebody and everyone's just like throws their hands up in the air. Oh, well, let's talk about, you know, some fucking bullshit gossip. Then we're so fucked that there's no point. There's conjecture via leaks because there's always leaks, but the leaks are unnamed and unverifiable. And then there's parsing Trump's crazy tweets. Um, it's not good enough. Obviously. But that that is what we have to work with. So No, it's not. Investigative journalism is what we have to work with. Get their fucking asses in there with their sources and figure out what's going on. 
Hold them accountable. This is bullshit. Well, investigative journalists have another big job to do that they that a few of them are doing a good job and much more of them have to. And we're going to get to that after the break and we're going to get really, really pissed off and we're going to discuss uh, things that maybe we or you or everybody can do uh, to a real human rights catastrophe that is happening right here on U.S. soil and is being grossly undercovered. Uh, and we'll get to that as soon as we get back. back to Reverend Testimony and we got another edition of Shit That Pissed Rachel off over the break. Uh, this one is a doozy apparently. I have no idea what she's about to tell me but here we go. Alright, well if you thought I was pissed off just now, just wait. The title of this article from the New York Times is UK Court Says Mentally Disabled Woman Must Have an Abortion. A British court has ordered an abortion for a mentally disabled woman against her and her mother's wishes, with the judge calling the decision heartbreaking, but in the best interest of the woman who is 22 weeks pregnant. The unidentified woman who lives in London is in her 20s and has the mental capacity of a 6 to 9 year old child, according to evidence presented Friday at the court in London. The circumstances of the pregnancy were unclear, the court was told, and a police investigation was underway. The decision was first revealed by the Press Association and other British news outlets, including the Catholic News Agency. Oh, good. Justice Natalie Levin handed down the decision at the Court of Protection, which hears cases on issues relating to people who lack the mental capability to make decisions for themselves. Quote, I am acutely conscious of the fact that for the state to order a woman to have a termination where it appears she does not want one is an immense intrusion, she said in her decision. But the judge said she had to act in the woman's best interests, not on society's views of termination. The British charity Life, which says its mission is to create a society that has, basically it's a pro-life group, said it's truly horrendous, blah, 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 of course. This is wrong on every level. It doesn't mean the baby will have learning difficulties, another person wrote on the Facebook page of the Society for Unknown, blah, blah, blah. Okay. A spokeswoman for the British group Abortion Rights which said the campaign to keep options open for many women who willingly, so it's a pro-choice group, uh, said really sad and complex. 
Um, their concern is that they don't they don't want people to make this case an opportunistic thing for anti-choice organizations. Oh well, but are also good luck. So okay. Both the woman and her mother, identified by news reports as a former midwife from Nigeria, and boom drops the mic. Yep. yep. Are against terminating the pregnancy, with the older woman offering to care for the child. The woman's lawyers and social workers also objected to terminating the pregnancy. It was not immediately clear whether the woman and her lawyers had the option of appealing the decision. Under Britain's 1967 Abortion Act, abortions can be performed up to the 24th week of pregnancy. A section of the Abortion Act allows the termination of a pregnancy if there's a significant risk of the baby being born seriously disabled. Otherwise, abortions must take place during the first six months of pregnancy. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? All right. So, fuck that. Fuck that so hard. Oh my God. It is no different in my eyes to force a woman to have an abortion than to force her to be a mother. Yeah, exactly. When we say. This has nothing to do with whether or not I believe abortions should be safe and legal, and I do. This has to do with the fucking autonomy of women, the rights of people to have autonomy over their own fucking bodies. Yeah. When we say we're pro-choice, it means choice. It's not like the pro-life people who say pro-life and it has nothing to do with life. Choice means choice, as in choosing to terminate a pregnancy or bring a pregnancy to term, and there is no place for the state... At all. To make this decision. The judge later goes on to say that the jurist said that though she was aware that the woman wanted to keep the baby, she was not sure the woman had any idea or sense of what having a baby meant. Quote, I think she would like to have a baby in the same way she would like to have a nice doll. She also said she thought the woman would suffer more if the baby was brought to term and taken away to foster care or adoption than if the pregnancy was terminated. The woman would suffer greater trauma from having a baby removed. It would, at that stage, be a real baby. All right. So, first of all, let's talk about the choice thing, right? Like, that that's clear for me. Mm-hmm. Second of all... This is some ableist fucking bullshit and some racist fucking bullshit. If this was a severely disabled white woman whose white mother said she wants to keep this baby and I will help her care for it. Can you imagine a judge saying, no, I don't think so. We're going to force you to have a fucking abortion at 22 weeks. They never would. Can you imagine that happening? Yeah. And then the disability factor here. First of all. I don't know how she got pregnant either, and that's probably a thing they should look into, and I'm glad that they are, because I I think regarding laws around consent, if this person is severely mentally disabled to the point where they have the sort of emotional maturity of a six to nine-year-old, there's really no way to have her consent. You could make the argument that, therefore, she can't consent to having a baby, but that's that's fucking bullshit. That's fucking bullshit. Her social worker does not think that the pregnancy should be terminated. Who the fuck are we listening to if not her family and her social worker? These are the people who are intimately connected to her and her family and her life. And yeah. whether or not you think disabled people should be able to have children or not, fuck you, by the way, if you don't. Just fuck you, by the way, if you don't. Um, doesn't matter. There's still mm-hmm. autonomy to be had here. 
This is grossly unfair and a grave injustice against this woman. And I swear to God, if her mom were not a Nigerian midwife, we would not be having this conversation. No. This is in London? Yes. Yeah, I don't. There's not much time left, obviously, in, in terms of the law. And I guess she, like, this is from a day or two ago. She's, the procedure would need to take place in the, in the next couple of weeks. But, uh, oh boy, is this going to blow up? And you would like to think that the worldwide bad reaction to this is going to, you know, maybe force them into changing their minds. Well, interestingly, outside of the courthouse, there were pro uh, choice and pro life groups protesting together. Yeah. Sure. Like just standing around being like, this is fucked. This is fucked. We yeah. don't agree on why, but this is fucked. Well, one of the rare times you'll ever see that. Right? I'm so fucking mad. I can't even imagine. And the fact that <sighs> this woman may not be able to care for a child on her own. Okay, fine. That may be true. That may be true and it may not be true. But the fact that it the may be true... The state doesn't get to make that decision. It doesn't. And the fact that that may be true and it she has it seemingly has the support to take care of this child, right? Her mom... Who's a midwife. Who's a fucking midwife, by the way, um, has already said, I'm going to help take care of my daughter's baby with her. So the fuck is that? And they're like, well... What if the mother has to leave the home and go? It's like, okay. That's every family in the world. Nobody should have kids then because what if somebody dies? Or what if (laughs) someone has something happen? That's not how we fucking do the law. That's not how things work. They just decided like, oh, this woman that we just, you know, makes us uncomfortable because she has a disability and she's black and, you know, a foreigner. It's not good for the interest of society to have like, fuck you. Fuck you. That's a crazy story. Um, but yeah, you get these judges. <laughs> they just love to play God. And I, I, like, what was the case? How did this go to court? Did the, like she go for the, the medical exam? And She's the- under the care of like the National Institute Protection people. It's some kind of agency in the UK that. Okay. Um, that it's sort of like being a ward of the state and yeah. that you can't make like medical decisions for yourself and right. since they have state run, right. you know, medicine. And so it has something to do with that. I don't, I mean, but who they're like, Oh, she's pregnant. We should take her to court and make her, what the fuck? I, I don't know, but it's very incredibly upsetting. And for the disability, who cares if the baby's born disabled? Disabled people have a right to live and they have a right to have children, even if those children are disabled. Well, you it's know, profoundly what women have, have the choice, have the, you know, have the choice, have the agency to make that choice. Yes. I mean, and this particular woman might not have that agency as determined by the courts, but the people in her life have supported her in her choice and have said that if she is unable to care for this child, mm-hmm. they will take care of it. So what the fuck is the state stepping in? I just, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I understand the pro-choice groups being really anxious about this because it's really bad. It looks really bad. I mean, yeah. it is really bad. But this is not what we're talking about when we're talking about safe and legal access to abortion and a woman's right to choose. This woman's right to choose was taken away from her. That's the crux here. This isn't about whether or not abortions should happen at 22 weeks or whether or not they 
it should happen to people whose babies may be born disabled or anything else. This has to do with just straight up, this woman wants to have a child and is pregnant and you don't get to tell her she can't. Right. This goes back to the days of eugenics and forced sterilization of, quote, disabled women, mm-hmm. right? Which could be actually disabled women all the way to women who were just sort of naughty <laughs> and that the, the government and the state didn't like. Yeah. Scary shit. And the UK has a history of this. Oh, yeah. This this shit started in the UK mm-hmm. with eugenics and sterilization of disabled people. Forced so, castration of homosexuals and mm-hmm. all, all kinds of gross things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So. so that's gross. Uh, well, want to keep an eye on that one, see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, I, I think so mad. this magistrate is was not expecting to get this sort of attention from this sort of decision, and they just made their lives a lot more complicated. So hopefully they think better of this. In any event, moving on to gross <coughs> injustices, uh, we had this conversation last night about yeah. what we can do. So basically... As we've known for a while, the uh, United States has functioning concentration camps here in on American soil of asylum seekers um, and immigrants in, and immigrants of just the most deplorable conditions you can imagine. And people are dying. Kids are dying uh, and being essentially tortured or neglected at the very least. And. It's it's hard to cover because basically they've they've created a situation where it's very hard to get people in there to document what is happening, but we know it's happening. Okay, so just to get into the nitty gritty of it, because I don't want to sugarcoat this at all. Um, the reason that it's so it's currently hard, right? Because these people these people are being held, um, like we talked about last week, that there are facilities where these people should be being held, and instead they're not, mm-hmm. and they're soon to be transferred to military bases. Um, and military camps, which are concentration camps. They're currently being held in concentration camps. And if we have to parse out what a concentration camp means, then we're already losing. And mm-hmm. we are. Yeah. Um, it will become almost impossible to monitor what goes on once the transfer to the military camps happens uh, because there will be no access to journalism, journalists, lawyers, um, or any kind of oversight. NGOs, Red right. Cross, anything like that. Um, what we know right now um, from some really good investigative journalism is that uh, there are people that are being held in facilities like in a room that's intended to hold 75 people and they're putting 250 to 400 people in that room with one toilet. Mm-hmm. Um, an administration official just testified publicly that they don't think that sanitary conditions, which is what is required, um, include soap or toothbrushes. Um, there have been an outbreak of disease of course, because you have people that have no sanitary conditions um, in too tight of quarters with no medical care. Um, there have been six children so far that have died that we know of, of easily treatable conditions. Um, there are kids that are incredibly malnourished. Um, there's been reports of um, rooms filled with you know, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls. Um, and they just bring in infants and toddlers and assign a group of infants and toddlers to each of these 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls to care for um, without proper adult supervision, um, without food resources, and without sanitary things like toothbrushes and soap, access to clean water. Um, they are sleeping on the ground in the dirt. 
Um, they are freezing. They have th th this. These are this sort of. This is like in California and Texas, you guys. This is not happening in some refugee camp in like North Africa, right? Mm -hmm. This is happening in like California. El Paso. In El Paso. Okay. This is in our country. Right now, like this is what's happening. And I keep reading all these articles about it. And all these people are so outraged by it, right? Like, of course, it's awful. And the right can be like, well, we're not gassing them, right? Yeah. So it's not a don't don't call. Yeah, we get people like Chuck Todd then get hung up in. Well, you shouldn't call it a concentration. You know what camp. Anne Frank died of? Typhus. Anne Frank and her sister were not gassed. They died of typhus because they were held in concentration camps and were lacked proper medical care and unsanitary conditions. So this is that. This is that. And, you know, I'm at a breaking point where I can't just post things on Facebook and yell about it on a podcast. And it's not like I have to go travel to Jordan or Syria, right? To try to help liberate these people. These people are in our hometowns. They're in our communities. They're being held in our backyards right now. And just being mad about it and just yelling about it and thinking it's an atrocity and arguing with the right about it on Twitter, it's not enough. It just isn't enough. And I don't know what to do. I don't have all the answers, but this is not the time for calling your senator. I think you should do that. I think if you have one of these facilities in your backyard, you should organize people and you should go out there. I think you should protest. I think you should let the people inside know that you're there. Um, there was one on the 21st of June here, just so what, two days ago, um, mm -hmm. at our compound in Aurora, the geo, the geo site. And a bunch of folks went out there and made a lot of noise and, you know, yelled as loud as they could in Spanish that we love them and we're here for them. And a bunch of kids came to the window and put their hands up and tried to indicate how long they'd been there and just, you know, wanted us to know that they were in there and that they could hear us and that, you know, we could see them to know that they were there. And so that they knew that we were here and we wanted to help them and that they weren't forgotten about. And as a way of putting pressure right on the people who are committing these atrocities in the name of just doing my job, which this is that, right? The people who are doing this work, who are going into these camps every day and willingly not caring for these people and letting them die, and letting little kids be malnourished, not to mention the emotional trauma of being separated from their families, having no care, having no idea what's going on. 
it's not a thing that we can just be like, it's really sucks and fuck Trump. That's not what this is. This isn't a, let's point out the hypocrisy of the pro-life movement moment. Fuck that. Like, all of that's true, right? But that's not enough. Like, if we claim to care about people, <clears throat> this is that moment in history where, like, you have to do something. Actively. You have to get out of your fucking house and go do something. And I don't exactly know what that looks like, but we have to at least come to agreement on that. Mm-hmm. This is not a time for anything else other than direct fucking political action. And I think the question you have to ask yourself is what personal sacrifice at what point, like what personal sacrifice are you willing to make to prevent a fucking genocide? Well, I'm I'm glad you asked that. And if I could just jump in for a second and I've seen a lot of these articles start to pop up that are saying the border guards and the border border patrol and even ICE, they don't want to do this. They don't, they don't want to hold these kids in these camps, and they don't want to subject these people to these conditions. And to that I say... Then stop. Then do something. Then quit in protest. Talk to the media. Blow the whistle. Yeah, it's costly. It could cost you your job. They could come after you. Um, it, it's dangerous. I, I, I understand that, but... You know, know your history and think about how history treats I was just following orders. I was just doing my job. I had to. I didn't have a choice. You always have a choice. Doesn't absolve you. And we're not living in Nazi Germany in terms of if you're a Border Patrol agent or if you're working in one of these facilities, you know, you're not going to get murdered if you disobey an order. Hopefully not. We're not there yet. And even if, even if, you know, and I don't want them to just go to the media. I want them to let these fucking people out. Oh yeah. I don't know what that looks like, but, and, and more to that, it's not enough. Uh, I, I don't think history will look kindly on us if all we did was sit here and yell about it on a podcast. No, we don't have the answers for what needs to be done and what to do and where to meet. We, we are, we need to figure that out and work on that and, and connect with other people in the community and figure out what we can do more than take to social media and, please, and yell on a podcast about it. Let's be really clear too. Um, please don't discuss plans that you might have to meet with local people that want to help on like Facebook Messenger Mm-hmm. And in Facebook, silent, quiet, secret groups, right? Movement people that I've worked with call it Fedbook. Oh yeah, right. Well, we we know that though that cat's out of the bag. Like we we right, know but the nice white liberal ladies who are really mad about this. Yeah, they might want to start a group because they could talk and right? like an in person group. Like right after your book club, right. stay don't, for but 10 don't minutes. start a fucking Facebook group. Yeah. Okay, it's not safe. It's not safe for you. It's not safe for anybody else. Conversations that need to be had about direct political action need to be had in person. Mm -hmm. Um, Phones off. Go on a walk. Right? And 
really try to connect with people in your community that are already doing the work, right? People that are on the ground and ask them what they need. And nonprofits are great and they do a lot of good work and I think if that's the route you want to go, go work for a nonprofit and see how you can help them. And there, and just, it has to be done at a local level at this point. Oh yeah. So where you live, figure out where these places are, figure out who's in charge of them, figure out what's already being done to help these people and figure out how you can help. And you know, everybody has a skill set. You know, everybody has things they can do. Maybe you're an accountant, right? Maybe you're an administrative assistant and you're really good at keeping calendars and organizing people. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're, if you're a lawyer, you're a better ass is already better be on the fucking ground. Um, you know, if you're an event coordinator or if you're a whatever, like everybody has a skill set that can be offered in situations like these. So don't think that just because you don't have a lot of work on the ground and activist movements that you can't be of help because you absolutely can. You may absolutely be of help. And that help may be menial work. You may have to go do things that you would normally not do to get paid, but it may be work that needs to be done. So I guess what I'm asking is, please find a way to go out there and do something. Because this is not okay. And if, what are you going to tell your kids and grandkids, right? If this continues on the way that history says it's going to continue on and you sat in the comfort of suburbia and had dinner parties where you were all really mad about it, but you didn't fucking do anything, isn't that complicity? Weren't there a bunch of nice Germans who said, what are we going to, what could I do though? You know? Oh, geez, I really don't like this, but what can we do? Right. I don't know what I could do. It's really bad though. Yeah. It's not that time. That time's over. So, get involved if you can. I mean, call your senators, call your local people, put pressure on, go protest. Those things are helpful. But I'm, I'm talking about more direct political action right now. More yeah. direct action on the ground. Like all of us nice, well-meaning white people who have so much fucking privilege yeah. That could so is so gravely needed in movement work. And when you get into those spaces, do not take over. You shut the fuck up, you listen, and you do what you're told. Yeah. Now, uh, the governor of Illinois just issued uh, an executive order that for pro- or private detention facilities cannot exist in the state of Illinois anymore. <coughs> Now, I don't know how that relates exactly. I don't know how many are private. I think a lot of them are. And I think a lot of the, from what I read, a lot of the facilities where a lot of like sexual abuse was taking place and like aggressive child abuse were private facilities because they were harder to monitor. So that's something. um, Because this is federal enforcement action, Mm -hmm. um, these would not be affected by state laws. So... Yeah. Federal government can operate private institutions within a state, and the state law just says the state won't allow the state to contract with private agencies, but the federal government can 
and that's where the real problem is right. for this. A couple of states have said they're not going to have um, private prisons for state prisons anymore, mm-hmm. but there are still federal prisons that will be privately contracted. So it's a problem. Yeah. You know, you know. There's a uh, we're gonna we're gonna be talking a lot more about this in the in the coming weeks and months because it's not going to go away by next week, and hopefully we'll have things to discuss about more direct action that you can take if you really just don't know what to do. So definitely stay tuned for that. And when you go do things, you know, or if you have questions or just reach out, we can figure out a secure way to talk. And um, if you want to share publicly, if you go to protests or you witness things, I think that stuff should be made public. I think Mm -hmm. if you go to something and you see something, I think you should put it everywhere you possibly can. I think you should spread it loud and wide and clear any of the abuses that you see happening, any people that you talk to, like, you know, let's make it so loud that it can't be ignored. Uh, there's a couple of other real big things I want to try to get to here in the last 20 minutes or so. Um, let's talk about what's going on in Oregon cause it's fucking nuts. I don't know what's going on in Oregon. Okay, well, this is what happened. We had dis- we've had we discussed at length, uh, and a few weeks ago we did an episode uh, for, for Kegro in the Morning where we talked about what it means when a house, a, a governor's seat, and a state house and senate are all controlled by Democrats. Mm-hmm. Well, that has happened in Oregon. Interesting. And in Oregon they're passing all these great... Uh, wonderful laws. One of the things they they uh, that a bill that was up to be voted on and was expected to pass on the governor to sign was a very aggressive uh, law to address climate change that was essentially more or less a carbon tax. And you know, another time we can explain a carbon tax, but you know, it could take a whole episode to explain. But basically, it's um, it's it's big big incentive to get away from fossil fuels and onto green energy. To, yeah. To to you know put it in a nutshell right it's worked on other um environmental right chemicals and things it's right. been effective right if you still want to work in a right. capitalist system of environmentalism right yeah it's it's a half measure to be perfectly honest yeah. now one thing to understand about even though republicans in oregon are now in the minority oh boy are they crazy right wing. Remember, yes. Oregon is the home of the militia that took over the Oregon was originally created to be a white separatist state. Yeah, and and a lot of those remnants are still there yep. and and You might think, "Oh, Portland." Yeah, that's the only. It's sort of like Texas. Austin uh, and then you have the rest of Texas. A little bit like that, yeah. Uh, or a lot of states <laughs> to be honest that are like Colorado that. to some extent. To some extent, and less so maybe here than other places. There's are- a, Oregon is really really rural. Yeah. Um, there's not, it's a very rural state. There's a lot of logging. Um, that's one of the primary industries there. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really, really, really conservative where it is. Yeah. So, well, like conservative with the crazy, like sovereign citizen bent kind of. Yep. So remember a couple of years ago, they, they took over a wildlife refuge and were armed and they needed people to send snacks and Bundy people, the Bundy people. Well, they're back in action because this is what happened. The Republicans in the state house, because how it works is even if you have a majority or a supermajority, um, you need a quorum to vote on anything. 
And to have a quorum in the state Senate, you need at least 20 state senators present. So the Republican state senators said, "Okay, well, we're just going to skip town then. So we don't have to. So there cannot be a vote on this carbon tax bill that we've decided we hate. Okay. Now, this is a tactic that has been used before seldom, but it happens. And Republicans aren't the only ones to use it. Yep. Uh, Democrats in Texas, I think, did it for a really gross abortion bill a few years back. Uh, I think it's been done in Wisconsin for a really gross uh, union busting bill. Uh, Like eventually they had to come back and do their jobs. This is what makes what's happening in Oregon different. The crazy Republicans, basically, so the state, the Democratic state governor, the bylaws are pretty clear. It's like, no, you have to come back and do your job. And if you refuse to, we can send state law enforcement to come bring you back. Wow. And so she said, that's what I'm going to do. So the state Republicans said, oh, no, you're not. And they have teamed up with the militias, not just from Oregon, from other states, and are arming themselves and are saying, you come get us, we will shoot you. And you literally have state senators going on the air and saying like, yeah, I will protect myself with force and guns if you try to bring me back to do my job. If you try to bring me back to vote on a thing that makes corporations (laughs) pay for pollution. Right, this is not a principled thing they're standing on. That's another thing I was going to get to. This isn't like a big land grab, right? Where like the we're signing this law where we're going to make all these lands, private lands, federal or eminent domain, or like some really radical immigration thing that might get them up in arms, right? Like this is literally like climate like, change you know, is a problem, and children we, in cages, and we don't want the coast of our state to be underwater in fifty years, so we should do something about it. And, we're, and I think it's like a 3% tax. It's like really not anything crazy. So you're going to shoot some state troopers over We're going to shoot tax. some state... And Blue Lives Matter too, remember that, right? Of course. So that's literally happening. And Democrats are doing what Democrats do is that they're trying to let everything cool off. <coughs> they're, remember, this is what Obama did with Bundy. With, with Bundy. Mm-hmm. He didn't want another Waco. He didn't want another Waco, so he's... He, him and Holder were like, let's let the situation cool off. I think that was right in some way, just because uh, oh. it's a bird sanctuary and nobody died. And then. Well, I, well, yeah, know, I'm talking like, before with Bundy in Nevada. Remember, they that were, was that was crazy. They were training their guns on the state. Again, troopers. no one died. But yeah, I mean, it certainly emboldens them to. Well, that's my problem, right? In, in that. You can you can take up positions and train your guns on federal agents or state troopers if you're white. If you're white, and then there's no repercussions at all. And is that the right thing? Maybe in the short term, but in the long term, then now where we we're, we are at where we're at. Um, it's tough when you're dealing with crazy people who seemingly are ready to start letting the bullets fly and start a bullshit civil war over not getting their way on shit, then like, yeah, what do you do? I mean, it's tough for me. Like that's fucking crazy. Um, I don't want to have another Waco over a carbon tax either. You know what I mean? Like, you know what? They're going to have to come back eventually. And like, then maybe we'll have some contempt charges and they can go serve a couple days in jail for whatever. But I don't know that we really want to like, they're going to arm themselves. Let's go. Well, the problem is shoot them and have a shootout over a carbon tax vote seems extreme on both sides. I'm not, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean on both sides. I mean, what they're doing is fucking crazy, but let's not have a crazy response. 
Well, that's the problem is the, the response that the governor is trying to elicit is within the law. I know it is, but are we seriously suggesting that we're going to send state troopers out to arrest senators who are armed with militiamen? That's the problem. And haul them back across state lines and force them to vote and risk militia shootout versus state troopers? I mean, it's way out of hand. That's the, the problem. The whole thing's way out of hand. That, and if we were as cold and calculating politically as Republicans, we might say, oh, let's let that happen. That's going to look really bad for Republicans, right? Like, we're going to force Fox News to take a side of crazy people shooting cops. But we don't think like that. We actually would rather people not be shot. So Over a carbon tax, to be honest. Oh, this yeah. is not. I mean, o- over anything when it comes down to it, well, for the most part. Kids in cages, maybe. Sure, maybe. But <laughs> look... <laughs> My point is this, right? If it was just these jackass senators and the the troopers came to their door and they said, you'll never take me without a fight. And they'll be like, "Uh, we're coming in. They'll be like, okay, fine. And that'll be it. But now that they've teamed up with these crazy militia people, who knows? Well, I think sending state troopers after state senators across state lines. (laughs) Right, because they're hiding in like Idaho and... To come back and vote on a carbon tax is maybe a little bit much. I under I think it's kind of lovely that they're just like, you can't hold up this thing that's important. I get it. They're doing a dumb thing by not doing their jobs. But well, yeah. we, if they wanted to I'm really go not- nuclear, they could rewrite the state laws. And I mean, then, then we have to go to the Oregon Supreme Court. But I'm just not like, sending oh. cops. Oh, how about say, yeah, we don't need a quorum anymore. Well, just because yeah. because they're not there, the Republicans aren't there to do anything. But like, I guess you have to have a quorum even to vote on that. Yeah. So that's where you get stuck. I mean, I think I think it's a really bad look if they hadn't teamed up with the militias. Let's say it would be a really bad look for us to go send fucking cops to arrest senators to make them vote on a thing. I think maybe we don't do that. I don't know. I, I think why we're gonna send fucking cops after senators? It's for a political thing. It's bad. But it's do, a bad look. Do your job. Like, yeah, but that's not a restable offense. Come on. Let's not send cops. Cops are not the answer. So then, anything. okay, so then the Republicans have successfully shut down the state government in Oregon so they don't have to vote on this bill they don't like. Right. Forever. Or for months. How long? I mean, ha- okay, yeah, that happens. Then what? Uh, I, you know what? The longer they this hold out, this is a out, political problem, right? As, let's, the, have, let's let it have a political solution. Well, this is what I'm saying. The longer they hold out, let's find some remedies. I, at a certain point, does the Constitution say like new elections? They're yeah. fired. Like yes. what? You know, right? I mean, but let's make this a political solution and not a law enforcement solution. That seems very silly. Well, I agree. And I think that's the direction they're going. I I don't think that the governor is going to be like, yeah, let's have a shootout. Like, okay, corral. Like, there's danger in that, you know. And and remember, we did have a shootout. One, it wasn't the whole clan, but one of the Bundy people got in a shootout with a state trooper over. And what was this whole thing over again? A bird sanctuary? Yeah, bird wildlife Something. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and the like, we could get there. The people could get shot and killed over this, despite Obama or whatever it is this time. But that's what I'm saying. We, no. Like, as much as I want to be like, fuck them, they have to do their job, just do any and all costs, let's go get them and make them look stupid. We <laughs> look stupid if we do that. Well, no, If we send cops after senators, I'm sorry, that's it, ridiculous. It's not about looking stupid, it's again, our side doesn't actually <clears throat> want a shootout and people to die. No matter what it means, regardless of the militias, I'm saying even if the militias had nothing to do with this, clearly at this point we're not doing that. That's ridiculous. We shouldn't have even suggested it. 
Why did we say it's a political problem? They left. Let them face the political consequences of that. Well, I, you're I, gonna shut down the government because you don't want to do your job. Can we talk about that in the marketplace of ideas? Can we say, hey, voters, your Republicans are hiding out in Idaho because they don't like the way you voted. So they're just going to shut down the government. Well, how do you feel about that? Let their constituents put some pressure on them. Let them look like the cowards and fools that they are. You start sending law enforcement after them, the citizens of Oregon are going to turn on you so fucking fast. It's a political problem. Let it be a political solution. This whole thing is ridiculous. Well, that's what's happening in Oregon now. And now it's gone from stupid to dangerous with the militias getting involved. So, I mean, the escalation of it by them is even more ridiculous, uh, obviously. But now it's like... Well, we'll keep, keep our eye on that I know we don't want to say like, okay, they win because they hired the militia. But it was a stupid idea in the first place. We should never have said that. Okay, well, we got about five minutes to go, and the last thing I want to touch on, and unfortunately, it's going to get too short a shrift, but um, there's been another credible rape accusation against Donald Trump. Yeah, I didn't read it, but... I have, uh, and it's gross. I heard it's really long, and it's in the New Yorker, right? Yes, and it is by an author, a fairly famous published author who has a new book, and in it, she details what Donald Trump did to her, and she's now not been shy about talking about it to the media. And uh, essentially, back in the mid-90s, she was this uh, columnist and writer in New York, kind of in the New York socialite scene, so her and Trump knew each other. And they met at this famous department store that I've been in, uh, which is not here or there, but, you know. Bergdorf something? Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. it's a big, like, five-story, very famous... um, Designer mall It's like Midtown area, yeah. and people store? For the most part, yeah, very much so. And um, he was there buying a birthday gift, essentially, from Marla Maples was his cover story. And he sees this woman there, E. e. Jean Carroll, does I want to say who her name is? I don't know. Um, I that's right. And he asks her for some advice, and you know they kind of go back and forth. And at some point, they, they wind up in the lingerie section, and he said, try this on so I could see it on you. And she's like, ha ha, you try it on. And then they're like right by the dressing room. And then he pushes her into the dressing room, closes the door and rapes her. Jesus. And at first she tries to laugh it off. Oh, you're so silly. What are you doing? Donald Trump's, you know, and then at a certain point we realize, no, he's really assaulting me. She stomps on his foot to distract him and runs out. Jesus. But after she had already been uh, penetrated, basically. After she had been raped. Yeah. And she was, she tells some of her friends, like, you will never believe what the fuck just happened to me at, you know, Bergdorf and whatever it's called. And one of the friends, these were both people who work in media, by the way, uh, is like, let's go to the cops right now. This is rape. I'll go with you. You need to report it. And the other friend is like, don't do it. He has an army of lawyers. He will smear you. It'll ruin your life. It'll ruin your career. It's just not worth it. And she goes with the latter. She's like, I know what happens to rape victims. I've seen it. Like, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to move, move on and avoid Donald Trump. Right. And I totally get it. Yep. I totally get it. And I totally get why she's been quiet all these years. Yep. And the timing of what now, of course there were, Oh, she just wants to sell books. It's like, okay, fine. You can play that game. sold books. (laughs) Yeah. She wants her 15 minutes of fame. She was already famous. Yeah. Like, yeah, she's more famous now, but she was already 
very Rape well victims known. don't come forward to get famous. Nope. They sure don't. So you what you've had was a lot of these, you know, it's sort of this this weird thing where a lot of these media types are like, this should be a huge story, but I guess it disappears in 48 hours. And I'm like, yes, it will. And you're in the media. How about you make it not disappear in 48 hours? Right. (laughs) It's not us that makes things disappear. Yo. Yeah. Like Chris Hayes, like this should be a bigger story, but watch it disappear in a few days. I'm like, well, I'll be watching in a few days, Chris Hayes. And let's see. Going to investigate it. Are you going to investigate it? Are you going to put your team on it? Are you going to be reaching out to people? Are you going to be interviewing people and putting them on the air and talking about it? Yeah. You do any of that? Yeah. Because if you don't, then oh, you made it disappear, Chris Hayes. Yeah, you helped. You were complicit in making it disappear. Yeah. That's like the self fulfilling prophecy of the media with this stuff. Just kind of drives me crazy, and you see more and more and more of it. Like this is this is a bigger story. We can't ignore this. And then they've moved on. And I know there's news happening where where you know election season is heating up, and there's so much shit happening, and the world is literally melting down, and the world might be blowing up soon. But like, if there's something that's important and needs to not go away, and you are in the media and you have a pulpit, like you have that ability to keep it to keep the flame lit. Yes. And I know it's hard. In the age of Trump and everything else that's going on, I know how difficult it is. And I know that newsrooms only survive when they can get clicks. I, I understand that. But, again... Sometimes doing the right thing is the right thing. All right, that's going to do it for now. We packed a whole lot into 90 minutes. Um, and this was a tough one. Yeah. But, you know, now this is us doing our jobs and we don't have the audience of a, of a Chris Hayes or a New York Times, but we have an audience and we appreciate you and we appreciate you listening and we appreciate you spreading the word. And if you want to get in touch with us at Irreverent Duo on Twitter, irreverenttestimony at gmail.com. Uh, I have been Travis. I'm Rachel. Stay active, stay tuned, stay involved, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>